Hey, if this is your first time listening to this podcast, I highly suggest you start with chapter one, so that way you know what's going on in the story thus far. Thanks for listening. Hey guys, full disclosure on this episode. You'll notice my voice changing a little bit. I'm getting somewhat of a cold. So... My voice acting, which is usually so amazing, and I say that with the most sarcasm as I can muster, is going to be a little more off than usual, which is saying something. Anyways, thanks for listening, guys. Dedication to my dad. Thank you for all the wonderful adventures and the great wisdom you gave to me, for showing me how to be kind, how to take a stand, how to fight, and how to make peace. Also, for the great lesson on not to stand next to you with ripped jeans and you holding a lighter. I love you, Dad. Last time on A Better Utopia, Yulium encounters the cloaked monster that warns him to leave after sunrise, or else he may encounter her brother. Rebecca asks Yulium to count his tale and his experience in the Battle of Volgard. Rodriguez spends a sleepless night in the stables. Agent Miller forces Leslie to allow him to use some of the men to capture the monster. I'm telling you, I'm fine. I'm staying, Rodriguez fumed. He threw up his still-cased arm in the air. This is nothing, so stop bringing it up. Oh, I'm sorry for looking out for your best interests. Please forgive me, Ruby spat back with as much fire as Rodriguez. Rodriguez, man, it's okay. The, the group of guys we have will be just fine. We probably won't even find anything in three days anyways, Finnegan pleaded. No offense, Finnegan. Rodriguez looked at the pale man. But how many of these things have you fought? How many times has your life been on the line? Finnegan turned red. Although, I don't think it was from embarrassment, but anger. You, you, you know, I may not be you, but I can fight. I can hold my own. This caught Rodriguez off guard. No one had heard Finnegan yell, let alone stand up for himself. Enough! Rodriguez, pack your shit. You're going. Leslie had walked into the room. No, I'm staying. Listen here, boy. I said pack up your... And I said no. Rodriguez gave a glare that was set dry grass on fire. Fine. You want to stay and die? That's just fine. Ruby, you go tell Preston to pack up. Rodriguez here can throw his life away as he sees fit. With that, Leslie turned around and stormed out of the cramped tiny room, slamming the door behind him. An old cheap painting of a boy watering sheep from a well rattled from the force of the door. Ruby gave Rodriguez a look that one might give to an idiot who had just said something so stupid that it plunged him into a new level of stupidity not yet found before. I hope your pride is worth this stupid act of foolishness. You know, you don't have to be in every fight. I do. Rodriguez looked down at the floor. Not out of shame, but more out of not wanting to look her in the eyes. Ruby's posture softened. Well, hero, 
Remember your wrist is still healing. Try not to use it. She then packed up her medical kit and left the room. She didn't slam the door, but instead looked back at Rodriguez with sad eyes, as if this was the last time she might see him alive. We sat in silence for a moment. I was trying to think of what to say to him. Words like fool came to mind, but I used my better judgment. So I guess we're going hunting. He looked at me and gave me a half smile, but I could see the worry in his eyes. Yeah, like old times. Hey, uh, listen. I'm glad you're here, but you don't have anything to prove. Volgard was, at the mention of Volgard, Rodriguez's body stiffened. His face melted into rage. You're right. I ain't got nothing to prove to nobody. I'm glad I'm here too. You know why I'm here? I stared at him in shock. I'm here because I want to be. I'm, I'm here to do my damn job. And that job is what, Rodriguez? Proving Volgard was a fluke? You've already done that. Every damn day in that war, you proved that. At the Battle of Herringbone, you received a silver star. What more do you need to prove? That thing we fought, I don't need to prove nothing. Not to you, not to anyone, not to my... Rodriguez froze in rage. The name he wanted to say was on his tongue, but he couldn't say it. He looked at me and scowled, then got up from where he sat and marched out the door without a word. It gave another slam that again rattled the same painting. The room fell silent once again. I tried to redirect my thoughts from anger to a place of calm. I looked around the room and I saw Finnegan in the corner on his bed. I had nearly forgotten he was in here. He sat there, awkwardly staring at the wall. He too was red with anger. I let out a sigh and spoke. <sighs> Come on, Finnegan. Let's get ready to go to that meeting with Agent Miller. You know I can fight too, damn it, he said with a voice slightly shaken from anger. What? I can hold my own. I'll prove it. To you, to Rodriguez, to everybody. Then he shot off his bed, marched out, slammed the door. This was the final straw for the painting as it fell to the floor. It was going to be a long three days. The outside of the inn was just as chaotic as inside my rented room had been. Teamsters yelled, hollered, and shouted as others loaded gear and fed the fires. Leslie was nowhere in sight, but Douglas seemed to have taken command of the ragtag group. Let's go. Remember, we need to get to the pole station before sunset. Boss wants to make this a record fill so we can all get out of and leave this horrible place. Now move. Looks like we'll be leaving soon. I turned to see where the voice had come from, but my heart already knew. There was Rebecca, standing, as beautiful as ever, with those ocean blue eyes melting my heart and soul into a fuzzy goop. She wore a look on her face that showed deep concern. Ah, it'd only be three days. I'm sure we won't even be able to find that thing again. I tried to console her, but her face showed that it had not been very effective. She saw right through my lie. Didn't that thing say we had to leave this place in the morning or it would hunt us? That's what Lincoln told the group. Well, then I'm glad the group is leaving, and you will be safe. I felt myself blush as the words left. I hope I had not come on too strong, but she gave me a slight smile that encouraged me. Rebecca let off a soft sigh. <sighs> Just be careful. I wish to see you again in three days. 
She came close to me and pecked my cheek with her soft lips. I swear I felt my heart shoot to the moon. Hey, what's this about, Rebecca? Jacob yelled as he stomped over like a bear. What? Rebecca turned from me to look at Jacob and groan. Jacob, will you keep your voice down? We are supposed to be keeping a low profile. You call this a low profile? Keep your voice down. It's none of your business, Jacob. You are my brother, not my father. Jacob? Agent Jacob Finley? Agent Miller had just walked around the corner, followed by Leslie. Jacob's face had the look of a child who had been caught with his hand in the cookie jar. His shoulders sunk down as if he were trying to disappear into thin air. I thought you looked familiar last night. Agent Miller had the all-knowing grin plastered all over his face. I was not briefed that an agent from the Office of Interior Defense would be sent here. In fact, when do agents travel with caravans? Jacob was clearly caught off guard, and his expression showed it. Luckily, Leslie spoke up. Agent Miller, I'm sure you've heard how bad the roads have gotten. That's why they've assigned Agent Finley to us. Hmm, is that so? Surprised they would send a lead member of the Strategic Magic Development Department on such a dangerous mission. I mean, you're pretty much just a glorified scientist. Miller pulled his bowler hat off of his shiny head and began twirling in his hands. Um, yeah, uh, well, desperate times, you know? Jacob gave a nervous chuckle and shoved his hands into his pockets. Oh, and is this your sister, Agent Rebecca Finley? Agent Miller extended his hand to shake hers, but Rebecca's face stayed stoic, and her hand did not come up. Oh, no, Agent Miller. I quickly interrupted his hand and shook it. This is my fiance, Ruth, and I'm Uliam. I'll be one of your contractors assisting you. Hmm. No engagement ring? Miller looked, pointed to Rebecca's hand. Rebecca wrapped her arms around me and smiled. Not yet, but he promised to buy me one as soon as we get back home. An expensive one, won't you, dear? She looked up at me with a smile. Uh, of course! I smiled back down at her. See, he proposed to me last year by letter. It was so unusual, but so very romantic. He wrote so very often while he was overseas. Oh, well... I uh, guess congratulations, then. Agent Miller seemed to swallow our story at the least I hope he did. He placed his hat back onto his head. I have no idea why Jacob and Rebecca were lying to Agent Miller, but the look on Jacob's face told me they had some sort of reason. Yes, congratulations. Ruth, didn't you say you were just off to help Lincoln pack up the mess wagon? Jacob gave his sister a sideways glance. Rebecca glared back. Yes, I guess I was. She kissed me again on the cheek and whispered, Thank you. Then she said for everyone to hear, Goodbye, my love. Stay safe and come back to me. I do not know what I'd do without you. She let her arms lingo around me and pecked me on the cheek again. Then she turned around and walked briskly away. So, Agent Finley, I'm sure you know about your obligation to assist me being a new field agent and all. Wait one second. I'm giving you four men already. I'm not sparing one more. Leslie shouted, face going its natural angry expression. Oh, well, isn't that Agent Finley's call? I'm sure he's running this 
operation. He's practically your boss. Agent Miller's know-it-all smile returned to his smug face. Besides, he's obligated by law. My op is a much higher order priority than this job. Not only that, but I'm sure he will comply, you know, not wanting the OID, knowing that he's AWOL and me arresting him. However, however, if he helps, then maybe I'll play along with the game that he's on duty and that Miss Ruth is Mr. Uliam's fiance. Agent Miller's smile melted as he stared down Jacob with vicious eyes. We all stood there in a shock for just a moment. Uh, yes, I, I'll be happy to assist you, Agent Miller. Jacob looked down at the ground, defeated. Now, Mr. Leslie, Agent Miller's smile reappeared suddenly. You should be on your way. The faster you get done, the faster you can have your men back. End of Jacob, Leslie growled. I've not decided what I should do with Mr. Finley, or... Agent Finley, as you call him. So we shall see. Now, Mr. Uliam, gather the men and meet me in front of the mayor's house at five o'clock. We shall have a lovely business dinner with him. Jacob, you and I shall canvass this town until then. We'll have a lovely time. Agent Miller then placed his bowler hat again back onto his head, readjusted it, and stepped off, with Jacob following him like a man condemned to the gallows. Hey guys, just interrupting the podcast again to do another shameless plug. If you wouldn't mind if you're listening on Apple or any kind of rating system platform, give me a five-star review. That'd greatly help me. And if you don't mind taking the time, share this podcast with your friends on Facebook, Twitter, what other social medias you use, and it would be awesome if you guys did. Again, thank you all for listening, and now I'll get back to the podcast. home was easy enough to find. It was the biggest home on the main street, possibly the whole town. A three-story Victorian house painted light pink with white trim. The yard was well kept with a rose garden that bordered the edges of a cast iron fence that surrounded the half-acre property. If this wasn't enough to give an idiot a clue of who lived here, the biggest giveaway then was the sign over the gate that read, Mayor's Estate. The hard part was standing there awkwardly with Rodriguez and Finnegan, who were obviously still mad as neither one of them spoke to me or to each other. In fact, neither one of them would look in each other's direction. Finnegan fidgeted with his toe in the dirt while Rodriguez scanned the alleyways looking for who knows what. There was Martin, who was a short, stocky man. He was in his mid-twenties, but had a bad receding hairline of dusty blonde hair. He was very quiet, and the only time he spoke was to condescendingly correct you on something. I accidentally called him Marty and found out the hard way that it was Martin. (sighs) 
I still can't believe anyone could passively aggressively lecture someone on their name for the whole walk over here, which took about 15 minutes. Meaning, it was the longest 15 minutes of my life. So, Martin, I said to break the awkward tension. Uh, where are you from? Washington. He answered me in a rough voice without even looking at me. Oh, nice. Uh, what part? Eastern. Oh, cool. Uh, what part of that area? Eastern, he said with more emphasis and a tone that made my hand flinch into a fist. Yep, this was going to be a long three days. Maybe I'd get lucky and the monster would just eat me now, standing here. With my luck, though, it would probably just appear and stand here to feed off my misery instead of my blood. A random crow flew overhead and Marty, I, I mean Martin, gawked at it like it was a shooting star. Gentlemen, you made it. Agent Miller called up to us from down the road. Behind him was Jacob carrying a large amount of logs and books. They stopped short of the gate. Jacob about to drop his big stack of papers or who knows what. So, uh, let me get your names again. Also, for the record, uh, state your rank and what job you used to hold. It will help me know with what I'm working with. That all-knowing, all-creepy smile formed on his stupid face again. Uh, PFC Paul Finnegan, I was a sanitation specialist. Oh, um, very good. Very good. Agent Miller's demonic smile slightly faded with disappointment. Corporal Victor Rodriguez, infantry. Oh, good, good. Miller's smile went back up to full creepy strength. Sergeant Elian Dunn, infantry. Miller then looked over to Martin, who was still staring at the crow off in the distance. He cleared his throat. <clears> throat> and you? Martin looked down from his crow. Mm. First Lieutenant Martin Goodwin, civil affairs. Ah, okay. Miller pulled off his bowler hat and rubbed his temple. So we are here to meet the mayor and his daughter. I will be discussing payment in the next steps of my investigation. Agent Finley will continue his work documenting, and if he knows what's good for him, he'll keep his very detailed notes. Miller stared at Jacob like a viper with its prey. You four sit there quietly, enjoy your food, and not speak unless spoken to. This night's about me and the mission I must complete. He eyed all four of us with a stern schoolmaster look. Got it? Yes, we all groaned in unison. Good. Agent Miller flipped his bowler back onto his shiny head. Now, shall we? The mayor stood at the door as we entered in. He was a short, pudgy man with a walrus mustache. The top of his head was shiny with dust-colored hair on the sides. Our heroes have arrived. He exclaimed in a warm, loving tone, Hannah, is everything set for dinner? Out of the kitchen walked a tall, slender woman. Thick, blonde hair ran down to her back in elaborate braids, and she carried herself as one with great confidence would. Her voice had a sing-song tone that was pleasing to the ears. Everything is set, Father. She then revealed a beautiful smile that brightened the whole room. Out of the corner of my eye, I noticed Jacob had stopped slouching and stood up just a bit straighter. Good. Gentlemen, I'm Mayor Jonathan Griswold. This is my lovely daughter, Hannah Griswold. 
Pleased to make your acquaintance, Hannah said as she did a perfect curtsy. Thank you, Mayor. These men who will be supporting my hunt are Jacob, Victor, Patrick, Martin, and Uliam, Agent Miller said as he pulled off his bowler and pointed to each one of us with the hat. Um, actually, it's Paul, Finnegan added in a shy whisper. His cheeks flushed red as he looked to the ground and avoided eye contact with Miller. Patrick, what did I say outside? Finnegan's cheeks flushed red as he looked at the and avoided eye contact with Miller. The discomfort of Finnegan oddly made Agent Miller smile more wide and more creepy. The expression sent a small chill up my spine and seemed to unnerve everyone in the room. Well, um, it's nice to meet you all. Isn't that right, my dear? The mayor added, trying to cut the weird tension in the room. Uh, yes, it is, Hannah said. She clearly felt embarrassed for Finnegan as well, and she seemed the most off-put by Miller's face. An awkward pause that Agent Miller continued to oddly smile through as we made our way to the dining room. There, we sat at a large wooden table that was well-varnished and recently been polished to the point that I could almost make out my reflection. The dining room was well decorated with paintings of the mayor and his daughter. Some were paintings of them in Paris, some in London, and a few right here in Lapis, Pennsylvania with the mountains and the lake in the background. Above the table sat a crystal chandelier which made the light refract through it and dance and cascade upon the walls and ceilings. Hannah brought in dish after dish of food which was a slightly odd smell yet very appetizing at the same time. You will have to forgive us. She said as she sat a dish down that looked like a Salisbury steak. All we have is this faux foods delectables. Our town has not had any shipment of much since the crisis has really started hitting the village. I did my best to spice them up, though. So, I've heard many conflicting reports of when the monster started showing up. Some say about a year ago your town started missing people every month or so. Others say they started years ago when a logger was found dead, with not one ounce of blood in his body. Agent Miller cut his steak and brought the bite to his lips. Hmm, not bad for faux foods. He eyed Hannah, which seemed to unsettle her, enough to make her stop chewing. She swallowed hard and said, Oh, thank you, then averted her eyes away from his. I would say it did start with that dead logger. That was around 20 years ago, though. He was the first to go missing not long after the horrible catastrophe happened. Mayor Griswold had a look of a man forced to live through a painful memory as each word flowed out his lips. And what catastrophe? Miller finally broke his stare away from Hannah and looked at the mayor. We had a blood witch. She was using illegal levels of misery magic to lure men to her cabin. She would then drug them and harvest their blood for them. Not enough to kill them, mind you, but enough for some kind of spell. We caught her, placed her on trial, and burned her at the stake. The whole business was quick, but unsavory to deal with. I thought burning at the stake had been outlawed, and all blood magic users were to be captured and sent to the federal government for trial. Agent Miller scratched his bald head with a question that had caused the itch, it seemed. This happened two years before the law was passed. Remember, I said around 20 years ago. I've tried to forget that day, although it was how I became mayor, which is probably the only good that came out of it. And how so? Well, the burning at the stake was looked to be too harsh. The witch had children, 
In fact, she had just given birth not too long ago. Anyway, people thought she should be hanged, and the trial was rushed. It was basically conducted in front of our house, and so was the execution. The former mayor, who I was running against, ordered it, and probably costed him the election. Anyway, back to my original point is that some say the monster is the same witch we burned all those years ago, but that's impossible. No amount of blood magic could bring someone back from the dead, especially someone burned at the stake. Others think, well, her spell or something that created the monster or a curse. Others think it's, well, the Lord cursing us for how we punished her. Whatever it may be, the killings and disappearance happened only a few days after the trial. They started off sparsely. A man disappeared every six months or so. We'd find a mutilated farm animal or, or something like that. No one panicked, they just assumed that people got lost or went missing. We were a logging town. Loggers go and loggers come. Sometimes they die and sometimes they go missing. It's an unfortunate business, but that's just how the business goes. And what about the logger who was found with no blood? People thought maybe he was just the last victim of the blood witch. The mayor put his fork down. My dear, that was a fantastic meal. He patted his face with a monogrammed fabric napkin. I did my best, father. Faux foods are not the greatest of meals, but it's what we had. I cannot wait till this whole business of the monster is gone and we can get real food back in again and stop using this over-processed food. Hannah got up and started cleaning the dishes. It really was quite good. I really enjoyed it. Jacob smiled out at her, his brightest that he could muster up. Agent Miller, of course, scowled at Jacob, who seemed not to notice as he was entranced by the pretty blonde girl who was walking away out of the dining room. Also, one more thing you should know, Agent Miller, the mayor said quietly as he watched his daughter leave. He leaned over the table as if he was about to reveal a whole mystery to us. I don't want to say this in front of Hannah. It's been hard on her. She started having nightmares years ago of the monsters. Well, monster, the, the smaller one. Dreams of it talking to her, but never attacking her. That seems quite normal, having nightmares when your life loved dealing with a monster. Agent Miller smiled that same old creepy smile again and shrugged. The mayor was taken back a bit by Agent Miller's odd behavior and looked away. Yes, I, I thought so too. Until one night when she began screaming saying she had seen the monster at her window. I told her it was just a dream. She said she had not gone to sleep but stayed up reading. I then tried to convince her that she had, must have fell asleep while reading. Heavens knows it's happened to me all the time. But she protested and begged me to check her window where it had been. So I looked and stuck on this corner of the window trim, I found this. He dug into his pocket and pulled out a black strip of cloth that had jagged edges on it. He held it up with a look of horror. It took me a moment, but I realized it was the same material as the cloak the monster had worn. A piece of cloth? So? Maybe the wind blew it up there. Agent Miller said with his voice dripping in sarcasm as he waved it off. Besides, it's probably some girlish fantasy of an over-imagination or somewhat. What reason would a monster even have to visit her window anyway? The mayor sheepishly looked down at the cloth and began lowering it back down to his pocket. No. It's from the monster's cloak. I've seen it. 
I said, breaking Agent Miller's rule of the conversation. Both the mayor and him whipped their heads around to look at me. Even Martin stopped playing with his food and looked up. I guess he had not heard. What do you mean you've seen it before? Agent Miller's creepy smile was replaced with a sneer that looked similar to a dog showing its teeth. What does he mean he's seen it before? Miller now gave that look to Jacob. Uh, uh, I thought Mr. Peterson told you. Jacob looked as though he had got his hand caught in the cookie jar. Leslie did not say a word, but why would he? Real fault is on the man who is on the... Miller stopped, looked around as if he had remembered he was in polite company. His face-splitting smile returned as he said, You and I will discuss this later, but really it's no big deal. Sorry, Mayor. Now, on the issue of pay, the UPC government's new program requires any seeking help to pay an upfront tax. Then, out of nowhere, the whole house shook, but only for a brief second. This event shut Miller up tighter than a hangman's noose. Thump! And again, another shake and a pause. What on earth? Is this an earthquake? Martin asked no one in particular. Then it was as if the whole house had started to throw a fit. The chandelier swayed overhead violently. Pictures of the mayor and his lovely daughter fell off the wall. Boards cracked, then creaked, then squealed as the house seemed to be exploding. But none of us could see where the destruction was coming from. An ear-piercing scream over the power of the sound of splintering boards filled the room. It was a woman's scream. A scream of someone who had seen the very epitome of evil. Hannah! The mayor dashed up to the kitchen door. But he stumbled and tripped as the floor quaked and split and moved under his feet. We all followed suit and struggled to reach the kitchen door as we all fell through it at once. The outside air... Cool and moist hit my face as I realized the outer wall of the kitchen was now torn away. Hannah continued screaming as a giant claw of an arm the size of a tree trunk reached for her. The arm was covered in a mix of pasty white flesh that hung from the arm. The rot clung to bone in a way that made an open grave seem tame. Open black sores that oozed a dark oily liquid every time a muscle twitched or mood would splurt out from time to time. The hand was similar. But where the fingertips should have been, there were long, bone-like claws that had a dingy yellow tint to them. Then my eyes followed the huge arm up to its owner. Most of the face was decayed off, except for the jaw muscle, tongue, and eye sockets. The sockets held red, pupilless eyes that had no lid to blink. They just sat there in an eternal stare. The teeth were yellow, jagged, sharp. Its mouth oozed the same black, oily liquid as its sores. The beast was huge and was similar to the very thing that haunted my nightmares of Bolgard. The sight caused me to stop breathing, and I could feel small, cold sweat beads run down my back. My mind screamed for me to turn and run. Yet another yell snapped me out of my useless state and back to the horror that was in front of me. Martin had drawn his officer's blade and ran at the foul arm. In a large arc, he sliced down and into the arm. Black liquid sprayed and speckled him and the walls in a wild, artless fling of a paintbrush. He tried to pull the blade out of the arm, but the sword slipped from his grip as the beast yanked his arm back and roared in an anger unheard of. My ears ringed after, and I could not hear a single sound but the insistent ringing of 
unknown bells. The second arm swiped at Martin and grabbed him up like a rag doll. As one of the claws impaled Martin through the back of his shoulder and out his chest, causing his neatly pressed shirt to rip and splatter with blood onto the floor. Martin's baby-like face contorted in pain, and if I could hear, I bet I'd hear the sound of screaming of unbearable pain. As soon as it happened, he was off his feet and in the air as the beast lifted him up to his mouth and stuffed Martin's head into it. Then an awful crunch and the beast's jaw muscles flexed and contorted. Martin's body went limp and just hung there, like a headless doll, and the beast tossed his body to the side with little effort as it chewed and then swooped and grabbed Hannah with the other hand. It turned around, revealing an almost naked body, other than some old cloth covering the loins and running back into the night. My hearing finally started returning, just in time to hear a shrieking cackle, and I looked into the night and I saw the black-cloaked monster I'd seen before chasing after the beast. It turned and looked our direction, and as it did, the monster smiled and waved, as if all was cordial and decent, and then disappeared into the night. This has been A Better Utopia, Chapter 7, Dinner with Terror, written and produced by Counterculture Rebellion. Hey guys, so next episode, December 22nd, is not going to be another chapter. It'll be a holiday episode. Uh, so it's got nothing to do with the canon of the story. So if you miss it, no worries. You're not missing much. Probably be a recap and then I'm not sure what the topic of it will be. Figure that out hopefully soon. Um, anyways, thank you all for listening. I really appreciate you guys taking the time out of your day to listen to this podcast. Um, I am going to pose a question to everybody. And if you could send me an email or message me on Facebook, um, the Better Utopia Facebook page or uh, through email, which will be in the uh, description of this episode. I'm going to ask, do you think... Moving forward, I should keep doing the voices or should we take the voices out? That way, you know, it's something more enjoyable for you guys to listen to. Do the voices, you know, the um, different character voices help or would it just be better for me to read straight through? Anyways, thank you guys all for listening. Have a wonderful Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Um, if you don't celebrate Christmas and you celebrate something else, happy holidays to you as well. Thanks.